Hi, welcome to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast, a weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. Covenant Presbyterian Church is an open, affirming congregation, and we're so glad you found us. Our primary mission is to equip God's people to serve Christ in the world. In our weekly messages, we hope that you'll find inspiration, encouragement, and even challenge for your faith journey. Please listen with us now. So welcome back to our Matthew Gospel series. Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at the scripture that describes Jesus's first big moments of ministry, and we've been wondering about how that is meaningful to us today. So we've been through some of those early moments of baptism. We went to the waters of the Jordan, and we heard the Holy Spirit cleanse, call, and claim Christ as God's very own beloved, and we remembered that that call was for us too. And then we went to the desert, and we sat with Jesus in the wilderness there for the 40 days and 40 nights, and then temptation by the devil. And then we remembered that Jesus shows us how he turned to God when times were troubled, and that he received holy messengers too, the angels who surrounded him and cared for him. And then last week, we had tickets to the big show in Matthew's gospel. Jesus began his ministry, and it did not disappoint. He called his disciples right out of their day jobs, away from their families, and then he got to the work of healing, healing crowds of people who were sick and who were suffering. And he kicked it all off with this message, repent, the kingdom of heaven has come near. And now today, we have Jesus' very first sermon. You'll know it as the Sermon on the Mount, and it goes on for several chapters, and we'll actually continue with the Sermon on the Mount next week. But these Beatitudes are also probably pretty familiar. There are really good things in the Sermon on the Mount, like love your neighbor as yourself. Do not pray with all kinds of words and language in public, but pray for yourself. You may have heard those before in the Beatitudes, but what you have probably known is these words that I read today. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Jesus' prelude to his first sermon is really quite something. And now, Don't forget that as we approach the scene of Jesus' first word, that he has really boomed in popularity. You may remember this from last week, but there are crowds that are coming from Judea, Jerusalem, from all around Galilee, even from the Decapolis. He's still there with the crowds in Capernaum. And in our verses for today, we heard about the crowds. It was right there at the beginning. Starts out with, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. 
Now, some people say, some scholars say that that's to get away from the crowds and to be with just his disciples. But if you read to the end of his sermon, if you get to the very end in chapter 8, you see that the crowds have heard him. And so that leads other scholars to believe that he went up to the mountain to amplify his voice so that all around him who were in need would hear the words that he had to share. And what is it that he teaches? Well, it's the word that we heard before. He takes this as the opportunity to share what it looks like in this kingdom of heaven that has drawn near. So there's a lot that's familiar here. We're in the same setting with the same people. We have the same theme in mind. So when it comes time for Jesus to teach, we're excited for Jesus to open that door and to start to explain a little bit more about this new world order that he brings. We feel ready for what is next. And then he goes and says this, happy are people who are hopeless because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are people who grieve because they will be made glad. Happy are people who are humble because they will inherit the earth. Happy are people who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness because they will be fed until they are full. Happy are people who show mercy because they will receive mercy. Happy are people who have pure hearts because they will see God. Happy are people who make peace because they will be called God's children. Happy are people whose lives are harassed because they are righteous, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. We may have been excited for the sermon, but when he offers it, it's kind of hard for it to land. I mean, honestly, it doesn't sound all that real. And instead of being reassured, we find ourselves incredulous. Wonder if there were people out there in the crowds who raised their hand and said, Jesus, since when did the meek become mighty? And the peacemakers feel secure. Since when is there happiness and poverty or honor and grief? And those who are persecuted and harassed, they're terrified, not fulfilled. And those who seek the righting of injustices, they're not satisfied, they're pretty darn angry. I mean, Jesus, you can do anything, heal anyone, call everyone. Couldn't you just go ahead and give us a little something more? Couldn't this world that you bring, this kingdom that comes, couldn't it just go ahead and be clear and present and not deferred and difficult to see? What is this wisdom 
that's based on the reversals of all that we see. Well, the word that is most often featured in the Beatitudes is a Greek word, and it's makaro. And scholars wrestle with the Beatitudes, just like we are here. We see it translated, that word, in a number of ways. And whatever they come up with, they decide that, honestly, it's insufficient to really get at what Jesus had in mind. But it can be translated as blessed or happy, which you've heard me use today. It can also be translated as honored or revered. But scholars always say, no matter whatever choice is made, it's insufficient to all that Jesus means in these words. So we'll take those three translations and see what we think about them each. Blessed, not a bad translation. That's King James Version, that's NRSV. But blessed, it can lead us to conceive as the Beatitudes as otherworldly, right? Like Jesus is describing a reality that's only meant for saints or a way of being that's so pie in the sky. But remember who Jesus was talking to? Those crowds, and they're covered in sickness. And the disciples who don't know where they're going to get their next meal. We know Jesus is speaking to people who are very much grounded in the material existence of the real world. So maybe not blessed, well then happy. And a lot of scholars use happy today. The common English Bible uses that translation. But if we use happy, we run into problems because Jesus isn't talking about an artificial or superficial emotion. Jesus does not mean happy-go-lucky, that kind of cheerfulness with no concern for the future or other people. That's not what he means at all. If that was it, Jesus wouldn't mention the hard parts, and he does. He talks about happiness at the same time that he talks about persecution and injustice and evil and grief. No, Jesus happy, it's not all moonbeams and rainbows. Jesus' beatitudes are based in the reality of this world. So perhaps we could use the third translation. Uh, it's pioneered by New Testament scholar Margaret Amer, who used to live around here, now is in Austin. And she uses greatly honored. Greatly honored. So greatly honored are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Greatly honored are the poor in spirit, for they shall see God. Greatly honored. Now this translation fits really well with that ancient Near Eastern context where honor and shame are the cultural currents in which that world swims. And it helps us remember that the meek and the merciful are not honored. They are not revered by this world's standards. But it reminds us that they are honored by God. 
The translation of Makaro as greatly honored reminds us to see that this world, whatever it may be, does not have the last word. This world does not have the last word. And the Beatitudes, the blessings, the happy are those, the greatly honored, reminds us that is ours to see. Some of you all will know that I spend continuing ed time uh, with the Benedictine Sisters of Coleman, Alabama. And I was so pleased when Sister Mary McGehee gave me her book. It's called My Heart Rejoices, and it's titled One Spiritual Autobiography of One Benedictine Nun. So just her story about her life and her faith. And there's a chapter where she talks about the work that she did as a member of the Alabama Committee to abolish the death penalty. She was a founding member of that group, and they offered protests, and they wrote their legislatures. And one day they received an invitation from another organization that was focused on abolishing the death penalty, and this one called Project Hope. And Project Hope in Alabama is composed of prisoners who were on death row at Coleman Correctional Facility in Atmore, Alabama. Mary said that they asked, if you're fighting for us, shouldn't you learn from us too? And so Mary and the people of the Alabama Committee to Abolish the Death Penalty began the regular work of meeting with these men to learn to speak with them and not for them. So in her book, Sister Mary offers a story about a man named Bo Cochran, who after 19 years on death row, was up for appeal at the federal level. He was given a new trial because he had not been tried by a jury of his peers. There were 11, 12 jurors, 11 were white, and only one was black, and Bo was black. So Mary, on her regular visits, also went to see him when he was waiting for trial in the Birmingham jail. And she asked him, how are you, Bo? Your trial is next week. How are you coping? And he responded, I am really fine. I'm really fine. I don't know what will happen next week, but it doesn't matter what happens in that courtroom. If I am found guilty and given life imprisonment, that's okay because I've been there. If they find me guilty and give me death, that is okay because I know where I'm going. If they find me innocent and set me free, <clears throat> that would be wonderful. But it really does not matter what happens to me. I am fine. Sister Mary writes that her mouth drops open. She was working at the monastery as a spiritual director, so she had listened to many retreatants who came to Sacred Heart, who were pious and seeking after God, 
and she doubted that she had ever been told that whatever happened to them would be okay. She writes that she remembered that Bo had already been in prison for 19 years. And she asks, how did you get this way? And Bo gave this testimony. Well, when I first got to prison, I was mean and I was hateful. I hated everybody. And I had to face myself and admit that I was mean and hateful because I really hated my dad, who was a still worker and who had abused me as a kid. And once I admitted my hate for my dad, I had another decision to make. And I made the decision to turn my life over to Jesus. Now, that was not easy. And it took me a long time. But I have given my life to Jesus and let go of hate. So whatever happens, that is okay. I am in his hands. Mary said she was stunned. She wanted to say, never have I seen such great faith in all of Alabama. I knew I was looking at a truly developed human being, a saint. And I also knew that our society would rather not have to see Bo and the others on death row. We place them out of sight and imagine them totally evil. I think you all have heard me say this before, but one of the theologians that I turn to when I'm having a hard time making sense out of scripture, one of the persons who speaks most clearly to me is a children's author, science fiction writer, but a wonderful theologian in her own right. It's Madeline L. Lingle, who wrote the Wrinkle in Time series for young children. She also has many scholarly books, or more scholarly books, written about the Word of God. Well, she has a book that she calls The Irrational Season. And in this book, she talks about living the liturgical calendar of the church year, and she says what is joyful and what is difficult about living a Christian life. And when she gets to the Beatitudes, this is what she has to say. What is this blessedness, this promised happiness? How, in fact, can we live happily when we are surrounded on all sides by so much pain? What is this blessedness, this promised happiness? What? if we follow the directions given us in the Beatitudes, is expected of us, not a general us, but each one of us in all our particularity. Sister Mary and Beau both decided to believe the Beatitudes. They both knew, and for different reasons, that the ways of the world did not work for them. The indifference, the disdain, the violence, the hate, 
but they also knew that that word does not get to have the last word. And they worked hard. They decided to walk the paths of the kingdom of heaven, loving kindness, seeking justice, walking humbly with their God. That's one of the things that I really like about their story is that the decision to follow Christ was not easy, and yet they did it anyway, made the decision every day. And after 29 years, you'll be glad to know that Bo's appeal was successful. He did receive a charge, but he got time served, and then he was exonerated of any murder charges, and he was released. At the time of the printing of Mary's book, he was living happily married in East Birmingham, and when it came to hobbies, Sister Mary said he spent it doing service for his neighbors because he hadn't been able to do that for years. But her chapter doesn't end there. She goes on to name the men in the project who hadn't been exonerated and were executed. Brian Baldwin in 1999, Gary Brown in 2002. And despite pausing for executions in 2022, at least temporarily, Alabama continues to make greater use of death row than any other state in the nation. And yet, Project Hope is still the only death row abolishment organization in the nation with the chairman of the board and the president currently in jail awaiting execution. What a world. What a world. Police execute death and prisoners represent life. The wisdom of reversals. So in Jesus' very first sermon, this world-changing, crowd-healing Son of God spends a lot of time describing the world as it is. That people are poor, that we mourn and are meek, that folks are persecuted for no good reason. It could be deflating. Is that the right word? disappointing, a disaster maybe, that Jesus from the mountaintop with the authority of God doesn't just go ahead and dissolve the ways of this world. But it's not. It's a good word. It's the good news that Jesus instead offers the wisdom of reversals, telling us that even in this world, we are to work for and live as and love as though heaven is here. What did he say to kick it all off? Repent, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. To God be the glory, time without end, Hallelujah. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast. 
I invite you to visit our website, covprezatl.org. That's C-O-V-P-R-E-S-A-T-L.org. There you'll find current worship information, links to our live Sunday morning streaming service, and our full archive of recorded services. You'll also find out more about us and how to get in touch. I wish you well in these strange times. God is with us. Grace and peace to you.